watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey everybody, welcome to The Binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I am Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Larte, and today we have three movies for you. The Hate You Give, First Man, and Tea with the Dames. And as always, we're gonna rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being our highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means... Life is too short for that mess. Jason, how's it going? What's up with you? Thanks for asking. You're welcome. Well, right now we are in the middle of the... uh, Here in the Bay Area, we are in the middle of the Mill Valley Film Festival. Mm. uh, Or it's more commonly known to us and listeners of our show that two weeks every year where Jason embarrasses himself at a lot of meet and greets... Um, with actors, and then takes awkward photos with them. Did we come up with an uh, with an anagram for that yet? Or we'll work anagram? on it. Yeah. You work on that while I while I unspool this tale. Please. Uh, so this past weekend was kind of when it all kicked off. And uh, Friday, I had two back to back meet and greets. Uh, the first of which is for the film Wildlife, which is the directorial debut of the actor Paul Dano. It was supposed to be Paul Dano, and then the leading lady, Ms. Carrie Mulligan. Oh. Yes. And then it was going to be back-to-back with um, the Polish director, Paweł Palakowski, who did Ida, which won mm. Best Foreign Language a few years ago, has a new movie called Cold War. Uh, so I so I show up, I hop in my Uber, uh, I start, I've been thinking all day, like, what to say to Carrie Mulligan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and cause I mean, I think she's, I mean, she's a brilliant actress and she's so good in everything. And, uh, so I'm like, this is going to be like another Emma Stone moment. Like, we're going to do this. It's going to be awesome. And then I get there and she's not there. She is sick and it's just Paul Dano. It's a mulligan. <laughs> it was a mulligan. <laughs> I got mulliganed mm-hmm. by mulligan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you just have mopey ass fucking Paul Dano. Oh my God. He cannot carry a party. He can't. No, he, he no. you know, he couldn't, he could not at all. Not in the slightest. Not Couldn't party his way out of a paper bag. Um, and he is uh, shockingly tall. He's like around my height. Um, and he has a six-week-old baby at home um, with his partner, the actress, uh, Zoe Kazan. And so he also mm-hmm. had that kind of zombie look of a new parent. Oh, no. um, and he's just wearing just like a fleece and jeans and would just look like dead to the world. And I'm just like, ugh. And so I like sort of like barricade myself in the corner with Ingu um, and just like complained and drank the whole time. Um, <laughs> and um, So you Ingu'd? I Ingu'd. And, um, and then eventually, you know, I said hi to him and, and we compared notes about things. And, uh, and I think we talked about, uh, well, okay, so this was all happening in the midst of the Kavanaugh confirmation. Mm. And, um, and so I was like, so I'm like always weird to have these things at moments of significant national trauma and he was like yeah yeah um and i told him that in that very room that we were in in this little like restaurant bar lounge at the ritz carlton that is the room that we all had had to come to the day after the election to see kenneth lonergan for me for (laughs) for a meet and greet for manchester by the sea manny by the co Mm -hmm. and uh and he just like he just went are you fucking kidding? I'm just like, oh no. Um, no, they did not cancel it. Not only did they not cancel it, but the publicist in question emailed all of us furiously the day of being like, guys, listen, I know that no one wants to come tonight, but you guys got to show up because if people don't show up to these things, you're going to stop getting them. Like she, she was like, I'll turn this car around. Wow. She pulled out on us. Maybe threatened right after. Exactly. Yeah. She bullied us all into showing up. And so she had like the best ever turnout. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for one of these things nobody um, wanted to be alone for, for fucking frumple dump kenny lonergan um <laughs> who was not friendly <laughs> and i mean it was yeah so it's just a for that one i remember i never talked to him either i was just there to you know do what the publicist wanted and um and then at the end of the night uh, i was talking to the publicist and he walked over to tell her he was leaving and then he turned to me and he was like oh um hi i'm kenny and i'm like hi i'm jason and he just went and he just turned and walked away. Mm, fair. I'm like, nice to meet you. Um, <laughs> I'm like, did you tell? Could you tell I was going to ask about Casey Affleck? Um, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah. And then Paul Dano told me a story about how they were shooting wildlife um, during the election, and he talked about like the day of the election, they all came together to shoot that day scenes, 
and you know they all gave speeches and just try to like lift oh, each wow. other up and and you know and he was like you know if you know he's like this will sound selfish but like without the movie to focus on I think we all would have lost our minds and and like so, you all did in this room right exactly like I'm the like, rest yeah, of you we were in this very room when you were doing that your so, day was probably better uh, another movie that came out recently um was being filmed during the election results. Yeah, yeah. Cameron Post. Cameron Post. I, I told him, I asked him, that. I told him that story. I was like, did you see Miseducation of Cameron Post? And he was like, no, I didn't. Um, and I, I rem- only watch movies. And then I remember that that was in the same Sundance as Wildlife. And, uh, um, and Cameron Post was a, a prize winner. Uh, mm, where, really? Um, yes, it was. Although I think, was that this year or was that last year? This year, as we know, has been a long one, <laughs> and since Black Panther came out this year, just despite all logic, oh, wow, yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think they were in the same year. And I mean, came... inter- it's just interesting to know what the like a passage of time is for a movie being shot and then yeah, being made. I know, yeah. So both of those movies were in production in November 2016, mm-hmm. and both films presumably thought they'd be released in, in a different world um, than right. the one that they are being released in. Um, and that's what's interesting is that now we have these movies coming out that were, you know, like the life cycle has, 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 it now includes that most changing moment of the country. Right. So every movie made kind of the next cycle right. will be in a, it was created in a, in a, in a post, mm-hmm. um, 2016 election year. Yeah. Quick, quick aside. I did recently, I, I just saw a, but I'm a cheerleader again. Oh, and it's really, it's really too close. It's really too close to Cameron Post. How could they have made that movie? They must have never seen But I'm a Cheerleader. That's like like trying to make a dramatic movie out of like Ace Ventura. We have at least one listener who does not like that comparison. Really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, huh. Interesting. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no. I know. <laughs> Would you say about Ace Ventura? <laughs> It would be like if you had like just made a movie like a, a noir about a pet detective, <laughs> without ever having seen Ace, Ace Ventura. With like a very serious moody scene of like talking out of your butt. Right, and you're like, and you know, like yeah, Dan Marino right. is like this grizzled uh, cop. They're like, what? What? I don't know what the issue is. What? Did you enjoy your 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 recent screening of Emma Cheerleader, or did you just think the whole time like, fuck those camera post people? What were they thinking? <laughs> no, I was able to enjoy it. Okay, yeah, good. it was wonderful. The, oh my god, the soundtrack! Oh, it's been so long since I listened to the soundtrack. And you know that soundtrack was it never had an official release to this really? day. To this day, that's never been officially released. Wow, isn't that bullshit? Yeah, that feels like Napster times to me. It was 100% Napster, Napster times. times. Oh, yeah. yeah. Everybody put together, like, yeah, their own, like, Frankenstein Napster soundtrack for right. that. And it was Mirable. Hot, hot currency mm-hmm. on the early internet. Um, did you watch it with Soul? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Had Who hadn't seen, seen it before? Oh, no. So what did, did she enjoy? She she couldn't believe that it was... Um, A movie? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> um she uh, she couldn't believe it was RuPaul. Oh yeah, yeah. RuPaul. That was shocking in a way that you don't know. No, I it's know. true. I feel like uh, you know, for all the vastness of Ru's legacy, the fact that she was in *By Mature Leader* is rarely brought up. Right, shocking. Yeah, it's so good. It really is. So I rolled straight from the Diano meet and greet into the Pavel Palakowski one. Many people did not stay for it. Um, Ingu, for instance, bolted. <laughs> I like uh, this is the Ingu call out podcast yes. in addition to the. <laughs> This is a really hot ticket for the San Francisco <laughs> Film Critics Circle. I know. Well, at least um, so um, when jumping ahead a little bit this past Saturday, uh, when I went to go see The Hit You Give a second time um, at a um, Mill Valley weekend screening where the cast was there, um, I wound up bringing in Christian, uh, hmm. a listener of the show. Uh, and we sat next to Ingu, so he got to meet her. Oh. <laughs> so yes, he lived the, the binge listener dream of meeting the infamous Ingu uh, in person. <laughs> Is Christian the one who doesn't like yeah. the reference to Ben and Mature Leader? No. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to weed them out one by one, because there are like five listeners. <laughs> and she, Is it and, your mom? Uh, it is not my mom, okay. no. Um, and, uh, is yes. it my mom? Yeah, okay. <laughs> yes, and he met her, and she scowled back, and that was a, that was a <laughs> dream meeting for him. But um uh yeah so i just can i ignored the polish director for the that meet and greet and then just got drunker and drunker and then toward the very end staggered over to him and i was like are they gonna put your soundtrack out on vinyl wow yeah i made a good showing of myself um this is a theme and we should make this a segment of the show and he was he was he was a very handsome middle-aged european gentleman and um and yeah i just kind of like walked up and then i was i had like one word out of my mouth before i was like Oh, you're looking at me like I'm a, like I'm a dummy. Uh, mm. <laughs> I was like, "Can you tell already? Hell!" You, you said it in Polish, right? And uh, yes. Um, and then I was like, "Oh, I should be that obnoxious person." I'm just like, you know, my family's Polish. And he'd be like, "Oh, from what part?" I'm like, "I don't know." Pittsburgh. Yeah. 
are you familiar with Washington County? Uh, so, uh, yeah, that, that didn't go so great. Uh, and then I had to go directly from that to a friends and family preview of a great new haunted house that friend of the show Peaches Christ is doing here mm. in town called Terror Vault um, at the San Francisco Mint Building downtown. Uh, I want to hear about that because I, I was just talking about um, haunted houses with somebody and I was talking about how like they were a big thing to do when we were in high school. It was like a thing right. that people would do after school and like I've always hated them. I just it, mm. it scares me in a way that I don't and I don't want to be scared like that. Yeah. Uh, and I'm so glad that I don't have to go to them anymore. Is this one like that or is this one fun and campy and not actually terrifying? To me, it was more fun and campy. Um, there's definitely like some jump scares, but like, I feel like the spirit of it is not like, is not hurtful. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. because I feel like a lot of haunted houses, you know, famously employed to serve like stoner teenagers, um, who are just <laughs> like, just sort of getting their nihilistic rocks off, you know, screaming into people's faces. Right, right, right. Um, brandishing, you know, fake chainsaws or whatever. Oh, Ohio uh, is like sick with haunted houses. Mm-hmm. So many. It's an epidemic. It really is. Uh, this, however, um, Joshua really wanted it to be a combination of a haunted house and an immersive theatrical experience. And so he cast mm. only like professional actors um, to be in it. Is it also a dash dog food release party? And and also there's the dog food release party. Okay, cool. Um, scariest of all. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, so we went through that. And uh, and yeah, and it was, it was I was so nervous because uh, I, I don't like things like that. Right. I was like, I was doing this really weird thing where I was basically jogging in place the entire time just to like keep my like adrenaline up and to be like, I can bolt at any fucking second. Oh my God. Um, and, um, and, but no, I mean like it's an incredible set. The set they put together is wild. Um, and it has a wonderful Peaches Christ cameo right in the middle of it. Um, and uh, the whole thing is very fun. We're going back on Saturday. I want to see it, but I'm also terrified. I mean, it's, yeah, I, I would recommend it. Um, it's it's there through like the first full weekend of November. It's there through like November 2nd, November 3rd. Excellent. And what, what point after that is the check from from Peaches coming? Um, hopefully the, Tuesday the night. Spot. Okay, yeah, excellent. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Uh, so, uh, yeah, then the next day uh, we had another meet and greet. This one with some real heavy hitters. One Mr. Steve Carell and one Mr. Timothy Chalamet. What did you do? Well, uh, I avoided them for for the majority of the meet and greet. And uh, it was right back there in that same space. And, uh, and at one point I was kind of cornered. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to like warm up. I always do this. Like I need like a glass of wine. I warm up. I try to get comfortable, you know, find my, just find my speed, find my place where I can just like, okay, now I'm ready to go over and stand awkwardly on the periphery of a circle of people that are standing around this person and then gradually like infiltrate. Um, but, uh, in this case, just when I was starting to warm up, um, this like old dude walks over to me. And I realized that it is the real life version of Steve Carell's character from this movie. Uh, So this movie is called Beautiful Boy. We'll be reviewing it next week. And it's based on a memoir that was co-written by a Bay Area father and son. The father is a journalist uh, and the son, uh, I believe, is just uh, is not a journalist, but wrote all the same. And it is about the son's struggle with meth addiction over the years. And um, it's sort of like just point counterpoint points of view. Um, recounting this kind of struggle that they went through to help him to, you know, find uh, sobriety. And um, so this, like, real-life, like, you know, hero journalist, you know, long-suffering dad of an addict comes over, and I'm just like, oh, my God, dude, what? <laughs> and um, and so then he starts, you know, sort of prattling on to me. And, um, <laughs> He's and, still the worst. And a friend of, and a friend of Ingu's um, who did not know who he was and just fully walked away while he was talking to us. <laughs> wow. He must get that everywhere. And, um, and, uh, and then, you know, because I mentioned where I work, and he has a long history with where I work, and so we talked about that for a long time. And I'm just like watching over his corner over his shoulder as like person after person after person after person in the film critic circle is just walking around to, uh, to chalamet and taking a picture like chalamet is just like parked right there he's just like bring it on guys and uh and i'm like oh my god <laughs> this is it um and you know meanwhile oh, oh what's his face uh it's just just going on <laughs> and on and on um and uh and then eventually the guy actually excused himself because he was like my hand is bleeding and i was like (laughs) what you hadn't noticed and uh because i noticed i noticed that he kept looking at his hand while he was talking to me and he had this kind of like panic look in his eyes and i was like looking at his hand too and i see a little very red kind of mark on it and i was like 
well, I'm not going to be the one to ask you if your hand is bleeding. I'm just going to let you take the lead on this one. <laughs> uh, and then eventually he was like, I should go to the bathroom. My hand's bleeding. And I was like, okay. And I just like row runnered it. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then at that point, Chalamet was kind of like, I don't know, he was like sulking by the bar or something. And I was, he was just giving me such like a Jordan Catalano moment that I was like, I went full Angela and I was like, I can't approach him. He's leaning. Like he's leaning mm. right now. I can't approach him. Like I, you know, he's a cool, cute guy. I would just start farting uncontrollably or something mm-hmm. like always my worst fear. And, um, and so once I went over to Corel and, uh, which, you know, I think some have pointed out on Instagram, uh, my Instagram post of our photo that Corel is no second. He, he is no one's second best. Uh, no, he, he looked amazing in that photo. Yeah. He, he looked very, he was very dashing. Um, and, uh, but he was, he, he was incredibly approachable. And very, very, you know, to the point where I didn't even feel like I was talking to like, as I'm, as I'm making clear, anyone special. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, yeah. And we, we chat for a while and, and uh, talked about again, where I work came up and he made fun of um, one of the buildings that my company has mm. in Culver City where he's been because apparently he's doing a show with us. Mm. Um, and uh, so. You work for Pornhub. Go on. Yes, it's Pornhub. Um, it's Falcon. And, uh, <laughs> so that was less embarrassing. Um, but then I just never got to Chalamet. Wow. I mean, he was so close, but so far. It's, so you brought that sack of peaches and yeah, he didn't and notice? he just sat there in a the corner with like <sighs> flies gathering. And then, you know, he, then he starts to leave and I go making a run for it. But, um, you know, but then that old guy blocks me again. Uh. He was like, both my hands are bleeding. And I'm like... <laughs> Get, get, to, get together, man. Um, yeah, I felt bad for Chalamet just because I was like, oh, this is just going to be like a bunch of like old queens like circling you mm-hmm. the entire time. Um, and I don't, I don't even think that really happened. It would have just been me. I was like, he's projecting. You're like, he's, all these queens in here are just I know. thirsty for you. I'm sure he was thinking like, is this San Francisco or not? God, the city has changed. <laughs> like I should be, I should be mauled to the floor by now. <laughs> um, so that is my lasting regret is that I did not approach Mr. Chalamet wow. and instead let him have his Jordan Catalano lean moment. Um, it's weird because it's like, it sounds like you were at a, bar in LA and you're like oh my god there's Timothy Chalamet I'm not gonna like like, he's there to talk to you guys yeah he's there they're there to be like you know have their elbows rubbed so to speak um and um and to take photos and you know our guests are real we're real princes about it very like absolutely 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 to anyone who asked and at one point I almost like we were like at one point we just kind of were were facing each other and then I, I just gave off I can give off a strong energy um, and I just felt like a wave of my energy hit him and he just turned and walked away. And I was mm. like, it's not meant to be. Uh, so, uh, so those are the three meet and greets that happened, uh, this past weekend. The hilarious thing was I actually had one on Sunday that I paid for with the real housewife, Erica Jane. And it was uh, the nightmare of all nightmares. I was like, I was able to walk right up to Steve Carell, easy peasy, I didn't get a photo. This three hour wait, three hour for a paid VIP experience, three hour wait. For like a two-second meet and greet, um, you know, step and repeat photo with Erica Jane. How much does one pay for a meet and greet with a uh, Real Housewife? Well, this also included a concert because she's a singer. Um, you might know her singles such as "How Many Fucks." Uh, sh- the total it was like eighty dollars. Wow. Yeah, yeah, still well spent, just poorly organized. <laughs> and then I had one yesterday with Richard E. Grant, which will come up a bit later mm. when we talk about tea with the dames mm-hmm. because that came up in the meet and greet, and he dished. He spilled some tea of his own. Ooh. Let me tell you. We should get to that. So I'll get to that. But uh, Rebecca, what's up with you? You know, we allocate the first 20 minutes of the show to the what's up with us. It's uh, 19.05. So um, <laughs> let me go ahead and fill that last uh, last 55 seconds you know, with what's up with me. Rules are made to be broken, Rebecca. Uh, <laughs> keep it short. Um, I went to Tahoe this past weekend. Um, it was a very nice, relaxing time. It was very crisp. I came completely underdressed for the weather. I wasn't expecting yes. it to be so cold. And so kind of in a panic, I was like, oh, I should go to, they have the ski shops there. I should get a coat. Uh, such a racket. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went to Patagonia and I saw that they had the sign up that was like, we're going to be, I'm doing a you hand motion. Uh, the sign up that says we're going to be closed for the election so that our people can vote. And I was like, that's great. I'm going to find a jacket here. I'm going to buy, even though there's a whole, you know, thing around people God, who they, wear Patagonia. And, they and, saw you coming. Like, they saw me coming. They got me. Um, yeah. and what a weird thing to be like advertising already. They're yeah, like, we will close for the election. Well, yeah, well, there are people know that they're not going to be open. Right, right. But that's... all the people who live in Tahoe right. go to the <laughs> that's a month ski away. Lodge. Yeah, it really is. 
Um, and yeah, I'm not at all like a skier or a snowboarder and I don't want to like go around wearing those things to give off the impression that I like to walk. Right. Despite your Tinder handle of snow bunny. I mean, that's something completely different. <laughs> um, <laughs> layers, there are layers there. So, uh, I go in and like none of the jackets work out for me. And so like out of freezing desperation, I go across the street to, to North face and then there's this like perfect jacket. It's like rainproof. It's not like too ski. So I could wear it back here in the city and it's like warm. Mm hmm. And the the salesperson is so nice, and she like finds this jacket. And it's like I think this one will be good on you. I was like, it fits like a glove. I think it was made out of glove material. Uh-oh. And then I just like I'm about to check out, and I was like, you know, this place doesn't have a sign saying they'll leave their employees have the day off on, on election day. I don't know that I, I don't think I can do it. And so I just put the jacket back and froze the rest of the weekend. Are you kidding me? Nope, that's it. You didn't just ask, like. Like, hey. Okay, that was that would that would have been a good idea. <laughs> like, by the way, I don't know if you saw this, but at Patagonia, they have a sign up saying they're going to close for the election day to make sure their employees can vote. Do you guys are you guys going to do that? Okay, I mean, you know, hindsight, hindsight being or or you, I could have just gone up to Timothy Chalamet and said, "Can I get a picture?" So the, both of us are telling stories of regret. Mm-hmm. Um, is is what it boils down to. Um, and I will say that when I was in Ta- uh, Tahoe last summer, I too underdressed. Um, because I also was just like, oh, it's like summer. It's like August. It's, it's Tahoe. It's going to be hot. Dummies. We're both dummies. We're idiots. No, we don't realize that some places get cold at night. At night. Ugh. Despite the fact that we live in San Francisco. Right. <laughs> yeah. And cold we're from night. areas that have winter. Yeah. We're idiots. Dummies, dummies, dummies. Um, the movies. Yes. For this week. Um, ooh, we're going to start off. Uh, the first movie we're going to take a look at is The Hate You Give, which is our pick of the week. Star Carter is constantly switching between two worlds. The poor, mostly black neighborhood where she lives, and the wealthy, mostly white prep school that she attends. The uneasy balance between these worlds is soon shattered when she witnesses the fatal shooting of her childhood best friend at the hands of a police officer. Facing pressure from all sides of the community, Star must find her voice and decide to stand up for what's right. My name is Star. Two R's. Daddy named me that. Garden Heights. Mama and Daddy says our life is here because our people are here. We got Mr. Rubin's Barbecue, Mr. Lewis's Barbershop, and Daddy's Store. The high school is where you go to get junk, high, or pregnant. We don't go there. Williamson is another world, so when I'm here, I'm Star version 2. Yo, those kids are lit! Basically, Williamson Star doesn't give anyone a reason to call her ghetto. And I hate myself for doing it. Until the weekend comes around. I get those goosebumps every time. What's up? Where you been at? I, mean, I know, you be hanging with all the white kids. Shut up. Out of the car. So a little bit about this movie. Um, Jason, you saw this already at TIFF. Yes, where it was my ding, where it was my number one. Your number one movie of the festival. Yep. And then you went back and you saw it. A second time. A second time. Yep. I saw this the trailer for this movie so I don't watch movie trailers at home because it ruin, kind of ruins it yeah. but I went to go see Sorry to Bother You in the theaters and when I saw Blind Spotting in the theaters uh, this trailer came up both times um, and definitely the first time I I was floored and I can't imagine what this movie is like if you haven't seen the trailer hmm. um, because it, the trailer's pretty long and it kind of gives out a lot um, yeah. so I wouldn't watch it if you haven't yet um, because it's the most impactful part of the movie you're going to know about, which is kind of a bummer. I wanted to see this and was really excited. At the same time, the trailer gives it enough that you're like kind of worried that it could be bad. Hmm. Um, so I was very excited to see this uh, and nervous. And I have couldn't agree more about Pick of the Week. This movie is a complete binge it for me. And that's the review. <laughs> yeah, that's on. Next up, First Man. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I will say that I think... It's hard for me to know how much it was my favorite at TIFF just from sheer surprise. Mm. Um, because, you know, I knew it was coming. Um, I, I was aware of the book mm-hmm. by Angie Thomas. Uh, it's a very popular YA book. And I was aware that there was a movie being made of it. And I saw, you know, the cast list. And I was intrigued that, like, Issa Rae was going to be in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, who, you know, up until this point has really only done acting on her own show on Insecure. Mm-hmm. Um, Regina Hall, who, of course... The as year we dis- of Regina Hall. It is, as we discussed in our Support the Girls review. Regina Hall is one of the greats. Um, and she's taking more and more kind of roles that you wouldn't expect. And um, so, yeah, I was, just, I, was, I was excited for it. But I was like, okay, you know, it's going to be like another well-meaning social drama mm-hmm. about black lives matter era america 
And, um, you know, and it was one of a, a number that were playing at the festival. Mm. Um, and that, of course, coming off of Sundance this year, which had Sorry to Bother You and Blind Spotting, mm-hmm. among others. Um, and then, you know, Black Klansman in between that came out of Cannes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, kind of what we were talking about earlier, you know, we've had enough of a, a, a production cycle of film has passed um, that now we have all, a lot of movies that are coming out that are very much grappling with these issues that are at the core of the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, okay, so this is going to be like a YA version of that. Cool. I didn't know what hit me. Uh, I was so, and I'm par- maybe partially because I hadn't seen the trailer. Mm. Um, but I, I was, I've been trying to figure out how to even articulate why this movie is so good. Um, and I think, you know, part of it uh, has to do with the way that it tells the story. I think it's, it's, to me, it's the most cogent, impactful film that's come out that addresses BLM issues. Um, and because I think, you know, it's sort of like this, having this framework, uh, it's so brilliantly constructed by Angie Thomas from her novel, um, having this character of Star, who's played by Amanda Lestenberg, in what I think is probably the best performance of the year. Ooh, yeah. Of what I've seen. I know you've seen more that are coming yeah. this year. Yeah, I've seen them, and she's better. Wow, wow. This is this is my vote for best actress this year. Like, no question. It's really, it's re- I, can, I imagine it's really hard to play this role in a way that she does. It's very understated and has so many layers because mm-hmm. the character has so many layers. Right. And, and does it flawlessly. Yeah. The depth of emotion that she channels in this movie, I wasn't prepared. With so little. Uh, yeah. And yeah, she's not been in a ton of stuff. And, you know, she's kind of more known as an activist in a lot of ways because mm. she was kind of kind of had to become a de facto activist when she became one of the first actors to experience a racist casting controversy over her having like a colorblind casting choice made in her favor to wind up in the Hunger Games, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, playing a character that I believe whose race just wasn't specified in the books. Right. Um, but then since it was a black girl put in the role, then, you know, racist Twitter in its infancy um, went apeshit. <laughs> and um, and she was very young at the time. I think she was like 12. Right. Um, and she had to go through um, this horrific racist experience of, um, of having this like public national outcry of like racist Hunger Games fans being like, you shouldn't be playing this part. Um, so, and she's been, you know, and she's, she's been very activist since then. And, you know, and she is self-identifies as queer and she is, uh, just a remarkable role model. Mm. She just wrote an essay, um, I believe for teen Vogue, um, about, uh, her history with sexual assault, I'm um, just in solidarity with Dr. Ford. Uh, she is just like, she is everything. Like, she is a hero. Um, and and she actually has the acting chops to back it up. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, but I think the, um, the character of Star is such a brilliant kind of device um, because since she does straddle these two worlds, um, you know, she comes from um, sort of like the poor black part of town, but her parents have moved her into a wealthy white private school uh, to get away from uh, sort of like just some of the ugly realities of the school where she had been going to public school. So through that alone, we're able to address issues of code switching mm-hmm. in a way that I don't, I can't remember any other movie ever addressing this, this just concisely. And that allows you to sort of see how this issue develops in someone's life to force him to have to stop switching. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. What What would happen to make somebody reconcile these two different identities or basically put like the fake one to bed. Mm-hmm. What it helps people to do is to understand racial identity in its sort of cultural social sense. Um, because, you know, for everyone who, well, particularly white people who would think like, who say like, oh, well, but I don't see race and I don't see color. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, like it's not me and I'm not the one who I'm not racist. I don't have any hateful thoughts about people of color. Um, you know, this is a movie that helps educate, uh, in a way that kind of maybe only a, a, a YA text can, mm-hmm. um, about the basic realities of that life and of that situation. Um, and it sounds like from what I've heard, the authenticity of this movie about that and about a number of subjects is, is intense. Mm-hmm. I was describing this movie to, um, a friend the other day, um, 
uh, a black friend, we were having dinner and I was telling her about the, um, the premise of the movie and she started to cry right there at dinner because she was like, that is because she was like, you don't know this, but she's like, that's my, that's what, that's me. Like, she's like, I was the exact same thing. My parents took me out of our like black school that I was in and put me into a private school with all the white kids. And I had to make that. She's like, and I, she's like, I hadn't thought in so long about when I actually made that choice. You know, you, mm-hmm. she's like, it's a choice. You make it, you make the choice to change your behavior, um, to, you know, to, to fit in or to, you know, to meet less resistance, um, to, you know, adhere to the norms of this white place, this mm-hmm. white space. Um, and she's like, I hadn't thought about that choice in so long. Um, so yeah, so there's, so the movie gets all of that apparently dead to rights. Uh, and then having, uh, so, so even if it was just about that, even if it was just about, um, you know, a black teenage girl in America who has to code switch, um, between her home life and her, uh, school life, even if it was just that, I think it would be a great movie. Um, but then it takes on the issue of, you know, the police shootings of unarmed people of color and then uses that as we, we, as the audience go in with star and have this basically awakening of our conscience Mm -hmm. and our consciousness about this. Like it's sort of, it, it forces her into action and it forces her into activism. Right. It, it, it forces, uh, the, the, the illusions of the life that she's built and mm. the life that she's trying to live, um, it strips them away and it's no longer in her control. I feel like this movie captures that feeling of like a slippery slope of, of things happening. And, and although this movie kind of has a lot of extreme things happen, they're all realistic in terms of the situation that she's in, in terms of like what's going on with the police and in her neighborhood. So quickly, you know, all this control you've had and the way you speak and the way you look and, uh, the way you dress, um, no longer becomes yours, your narrative to control anymore. And that being taken from her and, and then having to deal with the repercussions where she can no longer, um, yeah, she can no longer decide how the world sees her. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it is important to, for people to see who, who don't have to deal with that choice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we see uh, sort of the, the people, the white people in her life from her high school who maybe think that they are her allies and understand her we see the extent to which they profoundly don't. Um, mm-hmm. Whether it be um, a close girlfriend or whether it be her boyfriend who is white, who's played by KJ Appa from Riverdale. Um, and apparently, did you know about the reshoots? No. So um, the cast, the character was actually originally cast with, I believe, um, some YouTuber. Um, and then after they had already shot all his parts, um, there was some sort of like history of racist remarks on, on online that were dug up that he had said. And, um, and they made the full on Christopher Plummer decision to recast and reshoot all of his scenes. And he's in some big scenes Mm -hmm. in the end of the film. Mm -hmm. He's there for basically like the climax of the film. Mm -hmm. So they reshot all of that. Wow, that's huge. They went back and did all that again because they just didn't want to have to, they wanted to just be spotless, basically. Wow. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. That's a lot of work. And instead, they got a little, they got a little cutie, got a little, got, got Archie. So you know, can't be mad at that. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, so it, you know, it addresses that. And I, I mentioned to you off the air earlier that during the movie, um, when I was watching on Saturday, Ingu turned to me and she was like, "This movie understands white people so well." I mean, it really, really does does identify a particular kind of white, a white person um, that we they I I feel like this whole having a moment where you can no longer make a decision about what happens, having this like moment of having to make a decision about who you are and what you do and what you stand for, like brings out things in people that you don't expect. And I, one of the things that she was able to control is to be fine with her friends who are like kind of okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way that her friends react to the situation makes it no longer tolerable for her to, to be able to reconcile that with, with who she is and the way they see her. Right. And we should also note that star decides to not tell anyone at the school mm-hmm. that she was there. Um, and so she, it's this secret that she's, you know, carrying inside of her. And it's just this, you know, just turbulent roiling internal conflict that she is, you know, carrying with her as all these kids are, first of all, not even hearing about it, of course. Right. right. Um, and then eventually hearing about it and then just reacting and just, kind of not super great ways mm-hmm. um, that they maybe they think are great ways. They're like, well, what? Like we're protesting um, and, you know, uh, just sort of disingenuous protest. 
Um, and, um, you know, and it just, it strengthens the dramatic tension so beautifully. Right. I mean, you have this, this girl who witnesses a murder of Mm -hmm. someone she's known since she was a child, Mm -hmm. then have to go to school immediately after and not be able to tell anyone, not be able to recover or, you know, share this heartbreaking traumatic Mm -hmm. event and then have to hear everyone's response to it. Um, that's done in a way, right. Like, uh, using as as a way to like, you know, have like a, a day out of school to, mm-hmm. to protest and like hashtagging about it. And what, you know, which may not have come up if, she, if they knew that she was involved, but mm-hmm. because it can't, you, she got to see how her friends see her in her life. Right. Like as though she were out of the picture almost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it does ultimately kind of put that, you know, almost the, the internalized racism that she has been processing mm-hmm. on, you know, out there on front street, because, she keeps that to herself because she does. She so desperately doesn't want them to look at her differently. Right, exactly. She so desperately doesn't want them to see her as being, in, you know, quote, ghetto. Mm-hmm. She has a, She's like, I can't ever. She's like, even when they... God, it's so well done. She's, there's a lot of voiceover in this movie, to a fault in the end. But um, but she uh, starts walking down the hallway and she's explaining to us that, like, she's like, even when they talk to me um, the way that they think I talk, oh, I, can't, right. I can't talk back to them in that same way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, always, that was really good. Yeah, like, while you're walking down, like, hey, girl. She's like, hi. Uh, you know, and they're just like, you know, this party's going to be lit. And she's like, mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so. She can't be angry. Right. Even though, you can't know, see angry. things happen to her. And But I do like the fact that with her boyfriend, you know, he kind of has that, uh, I, you know, I don't see color. I don't see race. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, terrible right. argument. Yeah. But then he, he ends up being a really good ally and just yeah. saying, like, what can I do to help? I'm here for you. Um, which yeah. I, it was nice that there wasn't like a, you know, um, blanket right mm-hmm. white people are bad kind of yeah situation at no. all no it's definitely this is not a movie that is anti-white uh mm-hmm. by any stretch uh, it's yeah. it's you know it's a movie that's very it's very warm and very generous and it very much is one it even has you know common plays a black cop mm-hmm. who has to deal with his uh internalized racism he does and externalized racism yes and you know and they they give him a, a scene that gives voice to police officers um mm-hmm. where he basically tries to explain to star he's like let me walk you through what's going through a cop's mind when we pull someone over. That was one of the most powerful scenes to me because watching, you know, knowing how much of an activist Common is mm-hmm. and watching him deliver this this little monologue. Right, the sort of sympathy for the devil monologue. So convincingly. Mm-hmm. And and he really embodies, like, the fear that m- police officers must go through in, in certain situations. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, how is this possibly going to end? How is right. he okay with doing this? And then, right. you know, and then the conversation continues and it ends up being, again, incredibly powerful. Very revealing. Um, I also like the way, so Star's father... Um, in in this movie mm-hmm. was a an ex gang member drug dealer mm-hmm. and uh, a long time like Black Panther activist yeah um, and you see this thread uh, they do they really illustrate this thread well where you know they talk about they show flashbacks to when he teaches his kids how to react to the police when they're just like little babies and then he has like pa- you know Black Panther um, material and then when she uh, is with her friend uh, she they talk about uh, Tupac and what you know Tupac's messages and how they're still relevant so there's mm-hmm. kind of this thread of like black activism and awareness that mm-hmm. goes through like generations and ends yeah. up where she's at now I thought that was really interesting um, yeah a good way of t- and tying the tying those things together and also explaining things like um, the prison industrial complex and um, you know the ghettoization of like of, of people and uh, opportunities and right. how these things all feed into each other uh, in a way that like maybe a lot of people don't don't understand yeah yeah and you know the Tupac thing is what gives the movie its title mm-hmm. um, which is a, a line from I guess he in one of his songs made thug life into an acronym for the hate you give fucks uh, the hate you give little infants fucks everybody which the movie has to kind of almost cutely dance around because it wants that PG thirteen. So I think they say they say they, fucks. They say f's a lot. Yeah, they uh, do. They 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 let it out like at least once. Um, mm-hmm. um, but uh, but yeah, they they want that PG thirteen. Which I mean, they I want them to have that so more people can watch it. <laughs> um, so I will say that not everything about the movie is perfect. Uh, there's some. What? No, <laughs> please go on. You racist. <laughs> so okay, so I feel like um, there are two main things, and I only bring I bring this up out of love because I I love this movie so much, and the things that it does right, which are most of the things that it does it does better than I've seen done anywhere else. Um, but there's and the, I don't know if these are issues just from the book I haven't read it, or if this is something that kind of came through a little wonky in the in the adaptation. 
um, should also note that the woman who adapted it, her name is Audrey Wells, and she sadly passed away just last week. She mm. passed away the day before this opened in oh New York and L.A. Yeah. Um, she was a writer-director. She did Under the Tuscan Sun. Rowan directed that. Um, Guinevere. Um, she was a great writer, great director. And uh, and this is, it's it's great that this film gets to be um, her, her legacy. Um, and hopefully she might even get some posthumous, um, you know, recognition for it for awards. Um, but as I launch into why I don't like her adaptation. Uh, <laughs> so, okay. So I feel like there's two pieces of this that don't work. Well, it's not one, there's one narrative thread that doesn't work. And then there's one just scene that doesn't work. So the narrative thread that I don't like is, um, and it's something that we have not talked about at all, mm-hmm. which is the gang thread. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, uh, so there is not the, so basically when star becomes the sort of like the secret eyewitness to this police murder, um, you know, there's a lot of it that's about the tension she feels because, you know, feeling the police are watching her, um, feeling like she, you know, she basically is scared of the people at school finding out. She's scared of the police knowing who she is. But then there's the other piece of it, uh, which is there is a gang called like the King Lords and they are uh, sort of like the big game in town. And that's the one that her father was a her part of. Her father was a part of it. Anthony Mackie plays the um, the main dude, uh, the head of the gang. And uh, and Khalil who her friend who was shot in front of her um had had worked for them and uh and the movie does like it still gives sort of like verbal contextualization of like well here is why mm-hmm. um you know like drugs uh succeed as you know economically in in disadvantaged black neighborhoods because it's the only game in town right because we are left out of you know of opportunity opportunity uh so you know but but with that all said, they give zero shading or or character complexity to Anthony Mackie's character. Yeah, he's only ever just looming. Looming and scowling. Looming and scowling the whole time. Intimidating. Um, and it is, yeah, it is kind of it is kind of strange. It feels regressive. It's a one-note drug dealer character. It's a one-note gangbang character, yeah. which feels, in this movie, of all movies, very retrograde and very unfortunate. I saw, I saw why it was important, because I think that, like, that direct connection like it, you know he's also sort of like sort of related to her because mm-hmm. he's he's married to her brother's mom mm-hmm. um and then he grew up with her dad right. so you know having that skeleton right there in that closet mm-hmm. so close in one hand and then the other hand you know being in this white prep school mm-hmm. i think you know really show the tension that can come from either side that like she has a lot to deal with, mm-hmm. and and the, the you know it really builds that whole like, well, can't you just pull yourself up by your bootstraps? Like, no, right. like there are a lot of fucking layers that people have to deal with, mm-hmm. and so I think that, and it also gives so much um, context to how Khalil's death is treated because mm-hmm. then all they talk about is the fact that he was a drug dealer. Right. Did he have drugs then? Should the cop have shot him? Did, was he a dealer? Mm-hmm. You know all that, um, and that's all they talk about in the news. And, right. and uh, so I think that that was important, but I hundred percent agree with the character itself being yeah. like basically like a video game character Mm -hmm. of like a a, yeah just really really strange it's really unfortunate and uh yeah and all those things are super super important and i just wish that they had given him even like a scene where you see any sort of shading or you know complexity to the character at all especially Mm -hmm. coming after you know mahershal ali's character in moonlight Mm -hmm. um and just you know you know how much shading we got to experience with that character um, and, um, you know, and also the wife too, like the yeah, wife is, yeah. is a pretty grating kind of like, Ooh, kind of, you know, and even she gets at least one action on screen where you're like, Oh, maybe there's more to her. But that action comes right after she has just said the most loathsome thing. Right. Um, so it is tough. And, uh, and I, 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 I feel like maybe I'm hoping there's like some scenes they cut for time or something where there was more there. Um, but yeah, it just, it's like something out of a, a much lesser movie. Yeah. I mean, I, I, at the same time, I still feel like there are real people like that. And oh, that was yeah. part of the story too, is when the, like, uh, the one, the boy who was shot's mother shows mm-hmm. up and she's like kind of the same sort of retrograde character. But then but that makes everyone, out. they call it out. And they're like, yeah. Oh, why are they putting why would her on they TV? Show her like and that? they realize she realizes star, right. As a person who's the witness mm-hmm. who's associated with a guy that was killed. Right. Who's like trying to, you know, get into an Ivy league college. All of a sudden it, every, the whole world sees her now is in this mm-hmm. car with this guy. And this is his mom. And right. like, this is the whole thing she's running with. Yeah. is just devastating to her. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and keeps her from doing the, the, the right thing. Yeah. But I agree. I still agree with what yeah. you're saying, but I feel like the, the point was right, but the, the execution right. was not Agreed. the best. Agreed. Uh, and the other thing is that 
the the big climactic scene in this movie, the scene it all leads up to, right before the denouement, mm-hmm. is, and I've given this a lot of thought, I think, one of the worst scenes of any movie this year. Ooh. It is so misguided. It is so over the top. Yeah. Um, it feels like they took very bad studio notes. Um, a, there are a series of things that happen that strain credulity. Mm-hmm. Um, then the voiceover kicks in in which Star basically says like, so hey, remember the title of the movie, The Hate You Give? Mm-hmm. That's what this is right here. See him? He's he's the little infant. And and, and what happened was, uh, it, it is in, in, so, you know, we have this moment that feels just very manipulative. Mm-hmm. And then we have a, just an orgy of horrendous voiceover. And then we have the most impossible to believe uh, resolution imaginable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it just kind of recedes and goes away. And then right. we just go right into the sort of like, you know, and then, you know, epilogue. Yeah, that was when it was the, its most young adult movie. It drew the threads of the movie to the their most like tensile uh, <laughs> degrees, right? Or like most extreme um, places to go. Like, and if this kept going, where would it end up? Oh my god, I can't believe this is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it it does become a little a little silly. Yes. Um, and nothing seems like it would be a realistic outcome from it. No, not a single thing. Um, and you know, and not to say, and it's not a knock on the actors. The actors are all still doing great it's work. A knock on the screenwriting adaptation. <laughs> It might be. I want to say it's a knock. On, I want to say it's a knock on the studio. I blame the studio. I yeah, blame like, the studio because this is actually a this is a Fox movie. This is a studio movie. Nice. Uh, so, which it makes it all the more remarkable. Honestly, yeah. I think I'm going to buy a ticket. Yeah. I mean, if I don't make it, I don't make it. I'm still going to buy a ticket. Right. Right. Yeah. No. I mean, this is this is just. I'm. I'm. Yeah. I was blown away again watching the second time, and um, and getting to see uh, Amanda Love was there and Russell Hornsby. Uh, the guy who plays the dad, who is an Oakland native, was there, and mm. the director George Tillman Jr. was there, and um, and yeah, I mean, it's it's just yeah, it's, it's it's incredible, and I'm I'm so glad that it's finally coming out, and everyone can see it. Um, I feel like this is going to for sure be on my top ten of the year list. It's rated PG thirteen for mature thematic elements, some violent drug material, and language, and that brings us to our second movie of the week, First Man, the riveting story of NASA's mission to land a man on the moon focusing on Neil Armstrong in the years 1961 to 69. A visceral first-person account, it explores the sacrifices and the cost on Armstrong and on the nation of one of the most dangerous missions in history. Brian. Neil, if it does turn out, you'll go down in history. What kind of thoughts do you have about that when the thought hits you? Uh, gosh, suppose that flight successful? We're planning on that flight being successful. Uh, I, I just meant how you feel about being a part of history. I think I can shed some light here. It's a responsibility, but it's exciting to be the first. Even my wife is excited. She keeps slipping jewelry into my PPK. You're planning on taking some of her jewelry to the moon, Buzz? Sure. What what fella wouldn't want to give his wife bragging rights? Neil, will you take anything? Uh, If I had a choice, I'd take more fuel. So I don't care about space. Jason, nope, what's need... in this movie for me? I don't care about space either. Uh, nothing. Perfect. Shut it down. Yep. Uh, so, yes. So coming off of The Hate You Give, uh, we have the great black Twitter scourge of 2017. <laughs> Mr. Damien Chazelle uh, has returned mm. after La La Land with this movie, First Man. And uh, this was another one I saw at TIFF. Ding, ding. And um, and this was a movie where I was uh, let down. I was disappointed. I uh, can, you know, coming as, as, as we know, I was a big fan of La La Land and also of Whiplash. Uh, and I, you know, went to this like, oh, like, there's Damien Chazelle can't fuck up. Like, he's just such like, a master technician. Mm-hmm. His movies have so much energy um, and so much kind of vitality. And, uh, and, you know, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be, you know, and here he's re- teaming with Gosling for a story about the moon landing. What, let's see what take he puts on it. Um, it is uh, not like, it's almost sort of like comparable to the way that Paul Thomas Anderson went from making Boogie Nights and Magnolia that were both these sort of like sprawling, energetic, kind of like modern uh, operas in a way to making like there will be blood where it was just it was just like mm-hmm. s- slammed on the brakes and was just like this very cold quiet thing um essentially what damien chazelle has done in first man is he has made a christopher nolan movie oh yeah basically it's like if you want to know what first man is 
picture Christopher Nolan making a movie about this very subject, and that's exactly what you get. How many timelines are there? Oh, that's a fair question. Uh, it's not Nolan, and there's no Nolan time. Okay. There's no Nolan time. Um, it, it runs from 61 to 69. Chronologically? Chronologically. Um, and it is it is serious as a heart attack. It is very somber. It's very much gr- like sort of grounded in death and mortality. Um, it foregrounds that. So um, Ryan Gosling plays Neil Armstrong. Claire Foy plays his wife. Uh, and uh, it opens basically with them having a young daughter who dies of cancer at two, leaving them with two sons. And um, and that kind of sent that death kind of death knell rings over the entire movie, as um you know as Armstrong is you know working you know with NASA as a scientist to try to you know make this moon landing happen in the space race. And um, what I did not know is how many people died um through accidents. I thought it was just a bunch of dogs. No, it was also people. Um, you're like, well, dogs are sadder. Um, I mean, you know what? You want to make an omelet, you got to scramble some eggs. <laughs> so I did not know how many people died. Uh, so I was surprised as the film went on by how many of the characters um, kicked over at one point or another because they... So it's like Scream. Yeah, it is. It's like Scream, except for, uh, you know, without the uh, laughs. So, uh, yeah, so it kind of just, you know, goes on and on. It's a very... It just kind of goes on and on. It just kind of goes on and on. <laughs> um, so I, I was kind of... So, yeah, I came out of the movie just feeling, okay, this is like a Christopher Nolan movie, but it's like not a fun Christopher Nolan movie. And um, and it didn't really give me much. I was never really that into it. I was never that awed by the effects. Um, it also gives you what will be far and away the most unpleasant... Um, viewing experience of the year certainly if you see it in IMAX there's a scene where um, while he's in space where he and his um, co um, captain get stuck in what's called a roll where the plane is just going end over end over end over end over end over end over end very quickly an airplane or a spaceship their spaceship uh-huh. and um, same and, same and um, you know a space plane and, and it is I had to like I had to fix my eyes on a point in the theater and wait for it to be over because they, they make you feel like you're stuck in this role. And it's like this very dangerous thing because when it happens, I guess the, you know, the, um, uh, the pilots, uh, the astronauts, that's the word at the astronauts, (laughs) the space plane, the astronauts will lose consciousness. Sure. Um, and then they might never regain it and they'll be (laughs) just laying there dead in this role forever. Um, it's so like work. it's like, it's like, it's like America these days. You know what I mean? All right. It's like this podcast. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, so that happens. It's incredibly unpleasant. Um, and so, yeah, so I thought it was just Wait, you got, like nauseous. Yeah. I was like, it basically, it felt like, yeah, it, it was like dizzying in a really aggressively un- unpleasant way. So I was just kind of like, okay, well that was unpleasant and walked out of the movie like, okay, well like it, this technical merits are very strong, but I just didn't feel that I wasn't that connected to it. Um, and you know, I don't like, you know, it just lacked that, the, just, you know, the energy that really pulsed through Chazelle's last three movies, last two movies. And then today I read a takedown in the New Yorker of this movie, because as you may know, there was like a bullshit mountain controversy that came out of the mm-hmm. premiere of this film mm-hmm. about how like, it doesn't show them planting the American flag. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so, and, uh, I believe it's, I think Richard Brody was the New Yorker, um, writer who, who wrote this. Uh, he's like, this movie is like, not only is it not like anti-American left-wing propaganda, it's actually like super right-wing propaganda. And then he lays out his case, um, that he feels like this movie is like basically arguing for like MAGA, that it's like America was so much better in the sixties. And, um, he, he, he taps on at least one thing, um, that we had talked about, some colleagues and I talked about at TIFF. So, as the movie is going along and he Gosling is losing colleague after colleague after friend after friend, um, there is a scene where it juxtaposes um, sort of shortly after we see him like mourning this latest loss. Um, it shows um, all of, you know, it, 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 it kind of takes place in a vacuum independent of all the upheaval of the 60s for the most part. Sure. Um, and focusing just on all these white men working together to achieve greatness. Um, and then there is a scene that's not connected to the characters in any way, um, where we see protests, um, by people of color against the space mission saying that like these, um, these are not, this is not a good use of government resources, um, because like there's actual crisis, you know, there's actual crises happening down here on earth in Mm -hmm. this country 
and people are, you know, people are going hungry, people are homeless, like people need these resources that you're using for your like this fucking indulgent space mission. Mm-hmm. And um and they include, I guess, Leon Bridges, Reanax, um, Gil Scott Heron performing the song Whitey on the Moon, mm. um, which was I guess a protest song from the era that sort of calls out those things like, oh, well, we're all dying down here. But guess what? Whitey's on the moon. Right, right. It's also inspired my remix, uh, Whitey's on the Moon Moon, <laughs> which you'll know if you've heard about Moon Moon. Go on. Okay. Moons have moons and they're calling them moon moons. Oh. It was news this week. Oh, I didn't see it. Uh, I thought you didn't care about space, liar. Uh, <laughs> Oops. <laughs> I care about the moon. Uh, uh, so, yes. And then basically, like, the reaction that I had, I felt like, was what he wanted you to have was like, look at these stupid fucking protesters. Uh, like, how dare they? How dare they? Uh, like, we have just been spending like two solid hours at this point watching this this noble good white man work with all his noble good white male colleagues to achieve this greatest achievement. He's people have sacrificed their lives. And here are these protesters who won't sacrifice their lives because they're also anti-war protesters. Uh, and all they can do is complain and say that, look, like this thing is this thing is is bullshit. And what about us? Um, and just putting their hands out. I always knew that Neil Armstrong was a son of a bitch. <laughs> Ohioan. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, um, I mean, the movie also does. It makes Buzz Aldrin look just out of his mind crazy really uh, so is he yelling at the moon <laughs> so i see you moon Corey stole plays him and um and yeah they definitely i mean they definitely lean into buzz maybe at the very least not reading social cues in any way and offend- offending everyone around him constantly oh my god that sounds amazing um so that if there's any laughs in it at all it's that <laughs> but um but yeah and so i was like watching that i was like again i'm like is this just me am i just being sensitive or could this be read in some way as like in richard Brody didn't take it here but it made me feel like is this Chazelle doing this sort of like bitchy meta commentary on what? like what happened to La La Land um, and the way that La La Land was like, you know, was was crucified for being not Moonlight and being positioned to potentially take things that could have gone to Moonlight. And I mean, so it's called Moonlight. <laughs> it's not exactly. called Sunlight. He's like, take this Moonlight. I'm going to go to the actual fucking moon. Oh my uh, god! So uh, mm. yeah, and it was, and I thought it was just me, but then a colleague also pointed it out when we were talking about it, and then Richard Brody talked about it at length so in his true. review. So I think other people have noticed at least. I think there's a strong case to be made, um, and uh, and basically, yeah, the, the movie is all about sort of like your classic strong, silent, mid-century white American man who just wants to be able to do his work and doesn't want to deal with anyone's emotions or problems. And then ultimately he is vindicated because they succeed and he comes back and his wife looks at him like, it was all worth it. Sorry for being a bitch. And then it's, <laughs> and, and then it's all over. So, so do, do they, it would, who plays Stanley Kubrick? <laughs> uh, Kate Blanchett. Uh, <laughs> again, such a chameleon, such a chameleon. Uh, she also plays the moon. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, Jason, what are you giving this one? Uh, for me, despite that, despite that rant I just went on, for me, it's a binge it. No, You're for me, bitch. for me, <laughs> this is a consume for me. Um, you know, like I can't, like it does, you know, technically it is outstanding. Um, so, and, uh, you know, so it has all the technical merits are top, you know, top shelf, the effects, all that shit. Uh, and, so it's usually what I care about. I'm like, just tell me about the technical merits. Right, right, right. Um, and Claire Foy, sadly, is probably very well positioned to win Best Supporting Actress for this just because the long-suffering, supportive wife mm. always does. Um, it's the classic Jennifer Connelly, beautiful mind role. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. So, And people love her from the fucking crown. So I love that crown. I think she's got it locked up. First Man is rated PG-13 for some thematic content involving peril and brief strong language. Speaking of peril and <laughs> brief strong language, <laughs> our last movie of the week uh, is a real nail biter. Um, tea with the Dames. Together, they're 342 years old, or half a Mima. Mm. They're in their seventh decade of cutting edge, epoch defining performances on stage and on screen. Funny, smart, sharp, savage, clever, caustic, poignant, irreverent, iconic, old, and unbelievably young. Special friends, special women, and special dames. A chance to hang out with them all at the same table at the same time and enjoy sparkling and unguarded conversation. So we don't have a trailer for this movie, and um, good, because you wouldn't understand it anyway. We can do an impression of what the trailer would sound nope, like. No, let's not. Uh, <laughs> it's just like Mrs. Doubtfire. Da- it's just like a lot of Mrs. Doubtfire. A lot of Mrs. Doubtfire, yeah. 
It's almost like you're listening to archival footage, but it's the real, because there's also archival footage, and then there's the present day video, which also sounds like archival footage. Right. Yeah, it's like, oh, when I did uh, Othello in 1956, cut to like old footage. Hello, it's me, Desdemona. And it cuts back. <laughs> yes, I was Desdemona. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, Judy Dench is, you know, uh, Stone Cold Fox. She's a, she's a Stone Cold Fox. When you know, in movies, she puts on her movie speaking voice and is very clear. But when just hanging around, palling around with her buds, it's very difficult to to understand her accent. But she's wasted. She's wasted. Her, um, Maggie Smith, all of them. You, and yes. The other two. <laughs> the other two. Okay, so what is this movie? It's, it's James, Judy, Judy Dench, Maggie Smith, and the other two. Yeah, um, that's it. Uh, tea with them. So yeah, so it's it's all for our dames. Um, the other two being Joan Plowright and Eileen Atkins. And, um, and this is directed by Roger Michelle, who is a, a filmmaker who made Notting Hill. Uh, is a great working English director. This is one of the most English things you'll ever see. 100%. Um, proudly so. And essentially, I guess he just kind of had the idea. He found out that, I guess, every mm. year these women get together at Joan Plowright. Joan Plowright has an estate in Sussex. Uh, that she used to share with her husband, who was Laurence Olivier. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they all get together there uh, maybe like once a year and have a hang. And, um, and you know, just like, just get fucked up, mm-hmm. really. Um, and uh, put on LMFAO and, mm-hmm. and dance till dawn. Mm-hmm. So he was like, well, I want to film that. Um, but then, you know, but then they were very behaved when he was there. Right, right. So basically, he just films these 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 four glorious crones just sitting down and just shooting the shit about their careers, their lives. Um, he asks a series of prompts. He puts them down into a series of kind of combinations of like all four of them <laughs> and then pairs them off into twos. And um, and they just are, you know, they're very sharp, very funny, um, very self-deprecating mm-hmm. in a very English way. Peggy Smith is a real bitch. <laughs> <laughs> She's always been and she still is now. It made me think of that, um, what was that, SNL parody some years back where it was like, Imagine like juggalos watching Downton Abbey and they just pick up being like, and there's that old lady chicken head. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, chicken head lady's mad. <laughs> I have not seen that, but I want to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> just like cutting I, the footage of her as the dowager being like. Rrr. I love how she was like, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen Downton Abbey. She's like, they send me a box set, but I don't have time for that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's great. Maggie Smith like shits and everything she's done. Everything. Yeah. She, she was like, she's like, I'd better start watching it soon. I'll never see the wretched thing. That's it. I didn't know this uh, ever review was going to involve uh, accents. No. And, oh, uh, and I didn't level the mics for this and, at all. And, um, and she also, <laughs> she doesn't shit on Harry Potter, but she tells like a really funny yeah, story, it's a really good story about like her and Alan Rickman shooting all their scenes and that and how like they would always do the coverage of, they'd always shoot the kids first in every scene. And, um, and then by the time that it was like time to shoot the coverage of them, like reacting to the kids that like, they just would run out of expressions to make like, Oh, Ooh, what? <laughs> uh, so and it's, funny <laughs> so now we've told the best two stories in the movie it's, which is fine i think because i wouldn't recommend this to anyone who isn't already a fan. like they talk so much about uh act like stage acting mm-hmm. that i think that this is not for a lot of people um yeah i mean i think it's uh i think it's you know and to me this movie is definitely you would think it would be for me um because mm. i love actresses and i love discussion of acting and um and i love a dame so there's that um oh so um i mentioned earlier i was in meet and greet with richard e grant the great english character actor yesterday Mm. and um and this the subject of this movie came up and he was like he was like well he's like well what's so remarkable about that film is that i have these all these actors talking about acting but then at the same time they're all acting like they're friends i was like Dick Grant, you better fucking tell me right now what you're talking about. And he's just like, I'll just say that one of them hates another. I won't say which, but let's just say it's there. And in the film, you'd never know because she's so good. Judy Dench hates Maggie Smith. No, I think I, it, he, it kind of became more clear as he went on. Um, He was like, because we were all just like, you've got to fucking tell us, dude. And, uh, and he was like, Let's just say there's one that is somewhat less known by American audiences. All right. Atkins. Yeah. Okay. 
it's, I think Atkins hates Smith. I think Eileen Atkins hates Maggie Smith. Wow. I think she's like, you, I think no, she's like, sense. you have my career. Mm. Because I was like, well, okay, so it's not Plowright. I mean, because they were all, I think they all envied Plowright just because, you know, she was married to Olivier. Right. Even though she makes it clear, like, they all had problems with him and he was a bastard. Um, but, uh, and plus, and Joan Plowright did not know it's actually, is blind now. Um, right, did, yeah. Did not know that. Um, and I think, you know, I was just like, okay, so why would Eileen, so it's not Plowright, she's blind, she doesn't give a fuck, she was married to Lawrence Olivier, she doesn't care what anyone says. Um, so I'm like, it's gotta be Atkins. Why would she hate Judy Dench? And, um, and then I'm just like looking at them and just, it seems like Atkins and Maggie Smith have a more similar thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but everyone knows Maggie Smith. Right, right. No one knows, I mean, I know Eileen Atkins, um, but she's not anywhere near as well known. So I'm like, it's gotta be that. It's gotta be that. Although they do also have that scene where Plowright says that she's like, oh, you know, my agent is always like, oh, come yeah. back to America and we'll get you a cameo in a film if Judy Dench doesn't already have a pause on it. <laughs> and then Judy Dench so goes, good. Judy Dench does her best Michelle Tanner and goes, how rude. Why are you breaking the mic? <laughs> uh, yeah, that was a good, good, good natured ribbing on the half of the ladies. So Judy Dench actually looked offended. She was like, how rude. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, oh, that's how they all talk. <laughs> yeah. I like that. She's like, that's how they talk. Like, it's like, it's American. Right. It's what they do. I did love it. You're Maggie Smith would be like, Joan. Um, yeah. She'd be like, you know, turn your, your hearing aids on, Joan. Uh, you know, I will say that, I mean, it is, is it brunch goals? Yeah. 100%. Um, sure. Yeah. You know, for sure. For someone like you? Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's definitely, it's hard to recommend as a movie. That's for sure. Because it's really not much of one. Um, it is, um, you know, it's, it's not shot in like a cinematic way. Not at all. It's very basic kind of TV photography. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's, it's the four of them who are all legends and icons in their own way, all in in varying degrees that go back to like the book club model where Eileen Atkins is the Mary Steen version. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, definitely. um, Yes. But yeah, I guess it's like, if you were a fan of any of these ladies, it's a a really great thing to have to be able to watch them talk about acting and their lives and their regrets and um, what it's like being older and like watching them cackle with one another. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you don't know who they are, uh, the whole thing will probably be lost on you. Mm. Um, Or if you like only know Judi Dench from James Bond, this will probably be lost on you. Yeah. Although we will give you a background of, of what else she's done her whole life. Yeah. Because like they, they all talk about their film careers. Like they're an afterthought. Oh, complete afterthought. They talk about stage primarily. Yeah. And uh, although Judi Dench does also have that funny story she tells about like the 17 year old paramedic. Oh, right. Yeah. It's amazing. (laughs) Don't, you can't tell all the stories from the movie. No, you can't do it. Don't do it. All right, don't fine. do it. Um, so there's a reason to see the movie. Just go for that story. Um, <laughs> but uh, I won't let Jason tell until next week's episode. Exactly. Although that'll yeah, be your what's up with you. I will. I will say. I know you were suggesting earlier. I think before we were taping that it was hard to understand. And um, and yes, it was. <laughs> it was. <laughs> it was not easy to understand. Um, no, I feel it's... like the audio wasn't great because right. it's not like none of them have like you know none of them have like some intense like cockney like hard to understand accent right and they're all actors so they know right. how to they enunciate and speak um right. in a way for the, for, the, for the the camera but yeah it is very it's a lot of or maybe it's just them being casual and it's right. a lot of just high-pitched accents that i can't, couldn't quite uh understand what was happening right exactly sort of like yeah you're like, all you knew is that you just kept clutching your ears and f- doubling over. And my pearls. And your pearls. Um, what are you giving this one, Jason? For me, it's a consume. Yeah, it's a consume for some, and it's it's not a send it back in an insulting way. It's yeah. just maybe not for some people. Right, in the same way that I would never watch a movie that's like for sport people talking about how Athletes. they used to, how they used to play sports. Right. I would not watch that. So not for everyone, but if you you'll know if it's for you or not. Exactly. Uh, Tea with the Dames is uh, unrated, but would probably be PG thirteen for language. And graphic nudity, mm. and and that's their show. <laughs> oh, Jason, um, we, we should probably should subscribe. You can maybe like like the podcast and whatever app you use. Uh, could you only you can only like apps on Apple uh, podcasts. You can't like them anywhere else. Weird. Fuck it. If you have an iPhone, if you don't, whatever. Um, just listen. And uh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's it. Bye, guys. Bye, bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end, that's amazing. There There goes goes the the binge. binge.